0: Now the the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Now his older son came in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, as we consider this text, we ask that you would bless us and visit with us in the power of your Holy Spirit. We've gathered to worship you and to hear from you. We've gathered to declare your praises and to express our love and live out our discipleship and to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us in that now in Jesus' name, amen. Verse one. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Now, Jesus is popular, as you know, with the tax collectors and the sinners. Simply being a tax collector was evidence enough to the Pharisees that you were immoral and that you were vile. And the word sinners here is identified for us throughout the book of Luke, and particularly in chapter 14. Sinners are considered to be, to the Pharisees, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. The outcasts of society were called the sinners. And the way their thinking went was that they must be immoral. They must be awful in the eyes of God because they are under the judgment of God to be poor. They're under the judgment of God to be blind and so on. Therefore, they must be reprehensible. They they must be awful. They're outcasts. They got what they deserved in their sickness or whatever they're experiencing. That's how they looked upon These people. And it is these people, the tax collectors and sinners, who the Pharisees considered to be the lowest of the low in society. They're the ones who are coming to Jesus. They're hearing the message of Jesus. They're receiving Jesus. They're hearing about the kingdom of God. They're repenting. They are finding forgiveness for their sins. They're believing and they're celebrating with Jesus. And we find that Jesus is eating with them, verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. That is a table fellowship to break bread. In that culture and time, breaking bread was something that had enormous consequence. It had all sorts of meaning to have to eat with somebody else. Um, The scriptures are full of texts about meals and how the meal typifies the relationship and the covenant. The most famous meal in the Old Testament is the Passover meal, of course. And having a meal with someone else was considered a sacred act. It was a an expression of intimacy and fellowship and sharing and joy. Animals feed, humans eat. And Jesus is eating with the very people considered to be the lowest of the low in society, considered to be morally unclean. Now, through the Gospels, There are a vast number of examples of meals in the book of Luke. Jesus is shown to to eat and have a meal at least 10 times. And and they are acts of celebration. Jesus himself provided for the 5,000, of course. And he invited, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, he invited himself over for a meal. Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. That was quite a celebration. So the kingdom of God um, is typified and the relationship with Christ is typified in the sacredness of the meal and the sharing and the fellowship. It's depicted that way in the New Testament as a wedding feast. Remember this parable Jesus told, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. He invites them, he says, come to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And even in the book of Revelation, Jesus is shown to to stand at the door and knock, he says. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I'll go in and eat. So the invitation to a meal with Jesus is is very much a a picture of salvation. It's a picture of fellowship. It's a picture of reconciliation and and family. And in all three parables that we've just read in Luke chapter 15, these familiar parables, we find, well, Jesus is explaining why he eats with these outcasts, why he eats with these lowest of the low. And we find uh, the celebration and the concept of a meal around them. In all of these, there's rejoicing as he eats with them. Look at the first one, the lost sheep, in verse 3 and following. Well, pick up in verse 6, and he, he comes home, he calls his neighbor, the, the lost sheep, and, and, and his neighbor saying to them, rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. Rejoice with me. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Rejoice with me. There's an implicit meal here. Celebrate with me. There is joy in heaven, he says. This is a a euphemism, the word joy in heaven. Jews were very uh, reluctant to say Uh, Yahweh very often. And so they would use all sorts of circumlocutions, they're called, figures of speech to take the place of God. And this is a well-known one. Joy in heaven means joy in God himself. There's joy in his heart. Celebration. And then there's the lost coin, verse Nine, he says, and when she has found it she calls together her friends and rejoice the neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God. Here's another figure of speech. Right? Before the angels of God there's joy. That's to say there's joy in the very heart of God. God is rejoicing. God is celebrating. God is profoundly eager to delight with his guests and to have his guests join in the festivities of salvation. I mean, we go on to the parable of the prodigal son and the lost sons. It's not just one son who's lost here. And verse 22 tells us there is a... Dancing and there is music going on. Verse 22. Um, and he, as he, he calls them and kills the fatted calf, there's an explicit meal going on here uh, as they eat and celebrate. This, verse 40, 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to Celebrate. In verse 25, the other son comes, he draws near to the house, he heard music and dancing. We don't typically equate such things with God Himself, do we? This sort of celebration and music and dancing and joy. I don't suppose there's ever a celebration without some food. Many of you experienced that at Christmas time, didn't you? You killed the fatted calf, so to speak. And perhaps some of you were at parents or grandparents and they killed the fatted calf for you. That's even better, isn't it? And if you got a spouse and you got both meals, I mean, you can go the whole Christmas season not have to cook if you play it right. right? Sharing a meal has always been part of a celebration, an invitation, the intimacy, the fellowship and family. Think of the early church. It says of this uh, in Acts chapter 2, day by day they attended the temple and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. In the very closing books of the Bible and book of Revelation, the angel said, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb these are the true words of god so when we read with joyce with me this we're supposed to understand that this is god himself that it's god who is filled with joy and who is celebrating and we're reminded that god is not dour and gloomy he's not cross he's not moody He's not scolding, he's not grumpy. I mean, he created appropriate humor. He created laughter. He created the joyful celebration and banquet. And there's something about our fallenness that inclines us more to what is sad than joyful. The network television newscasts, they understand this about us that bad news is their bread and butter, isn't it? Uh, that's where they make their money. That's where they get their eyes on the screen. And I mean, even this, this big, big, big snowstorm that was supposed to happen all during the night and into this morning, I mean, we're all checking constantly, right? Wasn't too bad after all, was it? We are inclined to bad news, threats of war, violence and crime, political intrigue, captures our attention easy, more easily than it seems that which is joyful. And in our sinful state, we seem wired for sadness and for sensationalism, and for headlines about conflict. Uh, We seem to almost welcome misery and expect pain and problems. And and when we talk to people, we tend to compete in giving our organ recitals. (laughs) What's wrong with this organ, and this organ, and this organ, and And we share disappointments and depressions and setbacks and anxieties. And the scripture about rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, we do a lot of weeping in a way, but we don't necessarily do a lot of rejoicing. For some time now I have avoided um, TV shows that have conflict in them or arguments or yelling or sadness because there's enough of that in the real world isn't there and why heap it on from the make-believe world (laughs) and there's so much upheaval in our world and so much negativity and then there's the current COVID news of course and with its frustrations and its impositions, takes a toll in the conflict it can bring, and we can miss out on so much joy, so much beauty and wonder in the very little things of life. The laugh of a grandchild, the beauty of snow falling, some little deed of kindness, The child's card that was drawn with a pencil. Some act of forgiveness, some voice praying. The smile of someone just passing you on the street. And to stop and to look and to know and to feel that this is important. This is something to find joy in this is something worthy of notice and reflection and thought and wonder the psalmist writes in Psalm 4 these words he says God you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound he says you know they're Their joy is false. They're drinking and they're eating and he's saying they're all into all sorts of excess. And it's a fake joy. He says, you have put more joy in my heart. And he speaks of his relationship with God and his salvation. Joy is a decision that we make. We must make it. Just as we choose trust over rejection of Christ, thankfulness to God over resentment, we choose the light over the dark and the truth over lies. We choose joy over cynicism. And we can be so overwhelmed and surrounded by the obvious sadness of the human condition that if we were put into a press and squeezed, only sadness would run out even to the final drop. As a child, I was invited to a birthday party. My mom bought a gift. She wrapped it and off I went. It was a little bit of a considerable walk. And walking to the house where the birthday party was going to be, all sorts of thoughts began to go through my head. I'd never been in this home before. And then I thought, you know, I don't really know this boy really well. I, then I started thinking, maybe I got the day wrong. Or maybe I got the time wrong. And by the time I arrived at the home, I wasn't even sure if I'd been invited anymore. (laughs) So I turned around and walked home. All of my fears and my insecurities and my own anxieties and my own woundedness sort of drove me away. And I made a choice that it was safer and easier to be sad and lonely. And to go up to that door and join the celebration. And I missed out on the rejoicing. Joy is a decision we must make. And we have to be on the lookout. Because we live in hard days, troubled days. So much upheaval, so different even than just a few years ago, isn't it? we need to be on the lookout to celebrate every hint of the kingdom of God that we see in this life. To to celebrate every ray of light coming from the kingdom of God that lights up the darkness around us. Every drop of water from the kingdom of God that falls on the desert of this world. Every slight breeze in the still air that wafts and blows in from the kingdom of God we need to note it and enjoy it to be tuned in to every good thing and cherish it and take joy in it as the Lord himself feels such joy and that we, he invites us, rejoice with me, he says. Because there's so much anxiety and rejection and regrets and woundedness. But to claim the joy that is ours in the midst of a suffering life or a suffering world, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's noble, it's, it's a marvelous thing to do. It is a good work for you to do. Over these last days, uh, I heard a three-year-old. We we had prayed for the meal in a different room, and we were all around the table, and there was a three-year-old who who didn't know we'd already prayed. And we are all talking, and I could just hear in the background this three-year-old praying, God is gracious, God is good. Let us thank him for this food. Wow, hear with joy. I saw a line of people waiting to console a grieving husband. See with joy. I felt a cold wind on my face as I looked at the moon and the stars one, one, one night. Feel with joy. I smelled a roast beast in the oven smell with joy I touched the child's hand as she made me trace it on paper with a crayon touch with joy all of them are small things but they're worthy of notice and they're messen- messengers of joy from the kingdom of God and all it takes to have God rush from his throne and lay his hands on a returning child is just one person amongst the billions and billions and billions of people. Just one little person. One act of repentance. One expression of humility. One gesture of obedience. One word of contrition. One act of love, one step towards home where the Father waits with compassion. Just one person to fill the heavens with divine joy and fill the heart of God himself with joy. And he invites us to enter into that joy to rejoice with him. Have you taken that step back home yourself to the Father God who's waiting for you, who's full of compassion for you, who's waiting for your repentance and waiting for your restoration, waiting with forgiveness for you? Enter into the joy of your master, Brothers and sisters in the Lord, we must be marked with joy. Too often in these days, we are marked by fear and sadness and burden and anxiety and worry. Think of Christ who suffered for us. And even in his suffering, he desired his joy to be in us on the very night he was betrayed, he, he would pray that our hearts will rejoice and that no one would take our joy from us. Rejoice with me, says God. God doesn't want to keep the joy that he feels, the joy that just wells up in him. He doesn't want to keep it to himself. Wants to celebrate with you what was lost is found salvation and glory, resurrection, joy to enter his joy. And that's a place of feasting, a place of music, a place of dancing, a place we call home with God. Choose joy. The reward of choosing joy is joy. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you. Oh Lord, too often our hearts are down and our spirits are in turmoil. Too often we are troubled and tossing and turning, perhaps, worried about this or that, and, and we're missing all of those beautiful things that are all around us all the time. If we would slow down, and, and you invite us to do that and to rejoice with you. Help us even this week, even this day, to pause and look around us for something that is coming to us from your kingdom. Something amazing. Something beautiful. Something noble. Something little and small. And we pray as we walk as disciples that we would be marked with this joy. It's attractive to others around us, Lord, for they are fearful out in the world. They, some are panicking, some are, are just in so much upheaval in their own lives, relationships. And to see someone with joy is powerful. So, Father, as we come to the table now, we come to this meal that's intimate, and this fellowship meal, this sharing meal, though we come with grief at the great cost of our salvation, yet too we come with joy because we are forgiven through his blood, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.